the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Um, Hi. Another day, another dollar, right? This hour, I'm going to talk about deep maps. What the frick frack is a deep map? It's what I do differently than CFP Chad Burton. If you haven't figured out, he and I are kind of a yin and yang on finance. We've known each other for 20 plus years. I've seen him have children and I've seen his children go off to college. It's a wonderful relationship. I waited a little bit longer in life to have children. Um, but he's a financial planner and his show, New Focus on Wealth with CFP Chad Burton, is way different than mine. And I, to explain it, he talks about financial planning, only financial planning. Me, I talk about creating wealth in hundreds of different ways, but also about the future of investing, where the hot and sexy areas are going to be. Deep maps. Let me just throw in two more words for you. Oh, high definition. Deep maps. I'll get to that later in this hour. But first and foremost, I want to talk a little bit Wizard of the Oz, Wizard of Oz, probably the most magical film of all time, now owned by or soon to be owned by Jeff Bezos. He not only didn't get James Bond, Bond, James Bond, but he got the Wizard of Oz. Now, Frank Baum is someone I studied a lot in college or just I read. You didn't get through college without reading Aldous Huxley and Mark Twain and Upton Sinclair and George Orwell. You just couldn't. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis and Frank Baum were friends. They were contemporaries, and a lot of their writings had things to say. A lot of people don't realize how important The Wizard of Oz was. A lot of people just think it's a story about a little girl, and it has nothing to do with little girl. It's all based on populism, which was basically Donald Trump. When I run for president, I'm going to never play golf and I'm going to purge Washington, D.C. Uh, of, of the swamp. I'm going to drain it. That's populism. I'm going to give a chicken to every family so you have a fresh chicken dinner every Sunday. I'm going to give no taxes. No taxes for the rich, vote for me. No taxes for the poor, vote for me. Populism. And that's what The Wizard of Oz is based on. The populists of the 19th century who mainly focused on monetary reform as a way to create more equitable economic growth and opportunity. They were supported by farmers, by small business people, and by other powerless groups who suffered acutely during the boom and bust cycles that hit the American economy. I wrote a book on the 1920s while I was in college on the Dust Bowl in Kansas and the poverty. Um, it was a period of time, uh, economic strife in the United States, 
amazing poverty. Post-Civil War was an economic time. So there's parallels in almost all literature, all comic books, all TV shows, all music with what's going on in society. Dorothy, the all-American girl who represents virtuous, hardworking citizens, were attracted to radical politics because they realized that something had gone terribly wrong in the world and it needed to change. The Cowardly Lion was based on a character named William Jennings Bryan, not a character, a real person. William Jennings Bryan was a populist and Democratic candidate for president in 1896. In 1900, he was nicknamed the Lion for his fiery rhetoric and called a coward by many for his refusal to support America's decision to go to war in Spain uh, in 1898. I know, not a war that's really popular in history books, huh? The Scarecrow was the American farmer. Our economy was a farming society. It's really, really weird. When I got into this business 25 years ago, the jobs report would exclude farming numbers. I was like, why did the guy on CNBC say excluding farms? Because our society, what, our economy was a farming economy for most of the 20th century until the back half. The American farmer was portrayed as illiterate. The scarecrow didn't have brains. Farmers don't have brains. They're brain dead. According to the elite policymakers who feared that if all the farmers got together, they would they would find a populist candidate for reforms. So Dorothy was the all-American virtuous girl. The cowardly lion was an economist candidate for president. He wanted to uh, not go to war, but he was really fiery about trying to get our economy going. The scarecrow was the American farmer. The tin man, what do you think the tin man was? The industrial revolution, right? The American industrial worker who had been exploited and treated like just another piece of machinery by the rich and powerful employees left in the fields to rust. The munchkins, who were the munchkins in economic theory? They were the poor, tired mass of citizens of the United States enslaved by powerful interests and clueless about what to do next because the political machine was, was bigger than they were. The Yellow Brick Road was based in a land called Oz. The Yellow Brick Road was gold, and it stood for the gold standard, and Oz stood for ounces. Monetary policy was a huge political issue at the time. Big businessmen generally supporting tight money and gold standards, while reformers favored an enlargement of the money supply through the coinage of silver or the issuance of paper money. It sounds a little bit like 100 years later, Bitcoin, right? So the Yellow Brick Road was monetary policy, where we were living on the gold standard. But we started at that point in time, instead of using real gold to support our economy, when we hired soldiers in the Revolutionary War, we had to pay them in gold, not in paper money. There were no dollars to pay them. They wouldn't have taken them. They wanted gold or nothing. Dorothy's silver slippers, they were silver, believe it or not, before they were ruby. In the book, they were silver. So gold and silver go right back and forth with each other. The silver slippers that Dorothy had acquired after accidentally killing the Wicked Witch had magical powers that helped farmers and laborers and small business believe that money supply of gold and silver were in circulation, and it was a kind of a boom or bust cycle for them. The magic of the slippers was tied towards the, the economy. It's crazy to think that Frank Baum had all of these thoughts in his head. But in interviews, they came out as the, this was basically a story on economic policy. The Wicked Witch of the East 
was the Wall Street New Yorker types, the Eastern elite big business and Washington politicians. The Wicked Witch of the West stood for the bankers and the railroads and the Western industrialists. The Good Witch of the North. Oh, I'm Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, who I think I had a crush on. I, was, I wasn't really a Dorothy person because she had that mangy dog. Oh, a dog's mange. Do you know what mange is? When someone says your dog looks mangy, go look up what mange is. It's not good. But the Good Witch of the North, Midwestern farmers um, and others in the heartland were in strong opposition to the powerful elites in the economy. Glinda, the Good Witch of the South, was a personification of Southerners who realized that they were being exploited and repressed by the eastern political elites of Washington, D.C. and New York City. This is all in there. Who knew that The Wizard of Oz was really a story about real-life politics and real-life economics? Most of us don't get it. Everything I ever learned, I learned in a book. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm a big fan of Provident Credit Union and credit unions in general over banks. If you can get into a credit union early, I recommend it. Believe it or not, I've had a banking relationship with Bank of America for over 25 years. The bank that I banked at as a child was acquired ultimately by another company, by another company, and by another company, and eventually by Bank of America. There was a huge banking consolidation in the 1990s after there was a massive problem with what were called the savings and loan thrifts, where basically we had a housing crisis because we lent too much money to too many people. It sounds very much so like 2010, but it was the 1990s. History does and will repeat itself. It's not that tough of a game to play when you kind of can see the roads that we've gone down before. I like mergers and acquisitions enormously. Enormously. Um, it's when a company will look at another company and say, I think you're worth this. When you get married, you're basically telling the, the person next to you, I love you. And I think you're more valuable than anyone else on the planet. Same thing with corporations. I look at corporations as human beings. I think it helps if you do that. Um, and then suddenly you'll be like, I don't know about if I should be investing in, uh, Facebook. Facebook has one of the best acquisitions of all time. They basically won social media when they bought Instagram. And they've been doing everything they can to buy their competitors before they get to a mass scale, like they tried to buy Snap. Fortunately for Facebook, Snap took a pivot and went a slightly different direction, wanting to be a camera company versus a social media platform. But right now, if you were to ask me who has more growth over the next five years, I'd say Snap over Facebook. Who has monopoly status? I'd say Facebook over Snap. Which one do you want to invest in, the monopoly or the organic grower? I was reading about some of the acquisitions that Facebook's doing right now on virtual reality. And essentially, they're locking up a monopoly, for lack of a better term. They're locking up a monopoly on the operating systems for virtual reality. If you think virtual reality is going to be all that in a bucket of chicken, you almost owe it to yourself to say, I, I should think of Facebook's next step. So Rob just said – that Snap has probably better growth than Facebook, but Facebook's prepping for 
they don't want to drop the ball on virtual reality. Yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg was at a French tech conference. Viva tech. Long live tech. Virtual reality tech conference. Um, he predicted virtual reality would become, go beyond gaming and into areas like business meetings and fitness. Think about it like Peloton, where you have a subscription, but instead of the device is VR, and you put it on your headset, and it's going to be an amazing environment where you can take a boxing class or a dance class with a ballerina. The problem still is, Mark, is that you suck at hardware. You always have, and I bet you always will. The Oculus Rift, the Oculus platform that you bought, you didn't make from the ground up. Someone else did. So will Facebook be able to buy their way into a domination scenario? They could. I was reading about Facebook acquiring a company called Big Box VR. Now, we know about them buying Oculus. But in the last four years, Facebook has scooped up a number of VR gaming companies as well as Roblox-style build-and-share platform. They're going to start testing ads inside of the Oculus headset. Facebook acquired, like I said, Big Box VR, and I, I didn't know much about Big Box VR. But Facebook is going to probably have a near monopoly in virtual reality software before it even matters. They're loading up and they're buying everyone they can. So it's basically their playbook from 2012 when they did the same exact thing by acquiring Instagram. Probably the savviest business deal of all time, and it's not even close. It's summertime. Um, you got anything reading coming on? Any any books going? Um, I'm always interested in your book suggestions. For the record, I don't read business books to learn how to invest. I read business books for history. Um, I don't know if that helps you or if it hurts you. The United States is going to spend $3.2 billion to develop antiviral pills used for treating COVID-19 and other highly contagious viruses. Japan has eased their state of emergency as the country prepares for the Olympics in July. NBC's got a, 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 a doozy on their hands. They have the Summer Olympics this year. Yes. And then next year, they have the Winter Olympics. Oh, my. And the Super Bowl. For sports, the number one thing, live events. Television still hasn't figured out a way to break that into streaming as well as they could. There's some packages and there's some companies like FUBU. I don't like FUBU as an investment. I like them as an acquisition candidate and it's really, really tough. Take some of those F-U-B-O. And who doesn't like saying F-U, right? B-O. Um, it's like, screw you, body owner. It's an easy ticker symbol to remember, right? I used to do that about BJ services because they've got a ticker symbol that kind of implies something. And I'd say, who doesn't love that? <laughs> That's a great ticker symbol. And well, that just got it edited out of a Batman cartoon movie. So I'll, I'll drop that right there. And for those of you know, I know what I'm talking about. Is Batman sexual? Does he like to go on dates with Catwoman with a bottle of wine? Why does Batman, a billionaire, live with a teenage boy? Who knew what a ward of a child was until we saw Batman and Robin? 
these stories and more figured out and studied on Rob Black and Your Money. Next year, I'm going to talk all about The Wizard of Oz. I know you're saying, I wonder if he's being serious about that. David Juetta is selling his recorded catalog to Warner Music for more than $100 million. I asked you a question. Who the hell is David Juetta? <laughs> is he an American Idol guy? No, 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 no. David Juetta is a French DJ, record producer, and songwriter. He's racked up 50 million record sales globally with more than 10 billion streams. 10 billion streams. In 2011, 2020, he was voted as the number one DJ in DJ magazine. I had to figure this out because I was like, is he that guy who came out recently who was on American Idol? And like, I didn't know. But isn't that stunning? Another artist selling their catalog for a hundred million dollars. We get Bob Dylan. We get it. Um, we sort of get some of the other the talent who who have sold their catalog as they get older. Cash in. Linda Ronstadt, like she's not going to make another album. She's not going to get cash every month from record sales. She's selling the streaming rights to her catalog. Um, pretty smart. I don't know what Warner Music sees for $100 million. But there's a land grab. I don't quite get it yet, but I see it. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, you can get a copy or you can watch that interview that I did with Stratus at YouTube, Rob Black Show. YouTube's Rob Black Show. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Got a good show planned for you today. Talking about what's working on Wall Street and why. I think it's fair to say that there's a lot going on. This has been the worst week for the Dow Jones Industrial Average in quite a while. As large part, what is happening is what we've been talking about is going to happen, a shift. What does that mean? As inflation started to show and the Federal Reserve finally started to see it and admit to it, and change their timeline on interest rates from we don't know how many and when, but definitely nothing until late 2023 or 2024, to it'll be 2023 with two. Dow drops 450 points, extended losses uh, for the week. Worst week since January, which January is always one of those months where you have that transition from year to year and things change up on where smart money's going to go. Today's a little bit of that, or this week's a little bit of that. It took a while, and we kept talking about it, and now it's happening. I don't want to say, told you so, but this isn't as hard as it looks is what I'm trying to say. How long does it last? No one knows. Because we have the wizard. Jerome Powell, the man behind the monetary policy. How he's able to financially engineer us out of this is like the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain. Dorothy, when she saw him, she's like, she called his, his act. 
She said, you're no wizard. Same thing's happening right now. Our government's a little quasi-unaffective. Had a horrific conversation with Brother Michael, who's a scientist for Center for Disease Control. And he, he's typically more along the line of asbestos and lead paint and things like that. So he's a kind of that level. He's not on the flu side. And he's like, make sure you get you and all your friends that shot because this is starting to eat brain cells. I'm like, then I watched a movie or a show last night. I'm a little out of entertainment. I think it was called Dark Summer or Black Summer. And it's all about zombies. And I'm like, my kids come and watch me. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like COVID. The people who have COVID are the zombies. And that's the best way I could explain it. And I'm running away from them. I don't know if there's some truth to that, but it feels like it. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 450 points this morning, bringing its week to date losses to 3.3%. That's a big move in one week. Now, I know that's not a big move to you. I know it's not a big move in the last 30 years. But when I was a man child, I don't even know what that means. When I was a child and I'd watch uh, Wall Street, I was basically watching it through the business section of the New York Times and the Washington Post and the newspapers that you can get overseas in Europe. And you're like, why did you read the business section? Because you read anything you could in English. So the market's getting beat up rough today. And back when I was a young child, you'd see a 3.3% move played out over two weeks, not over one week. Um, and that was a bad, horrific week, uh, two-week period back then. A little bit different. A little bit different, right? So things are starting to change up. And I, I think probably the boogeyman right now is inflation and tied towards copper and corn and platinum. Yesterday, three of the four major indices ended in the red. End of the week. We're marching through the first half of the year. End of June will be the first half of the year. Wow, time flies. The Dow led the losers yesterday. The Dow's leading the losers today. Commodities are down bad, big, huge which is kind of the popping of inflation, which is, again, we got all worked up because we saw prices zoom on lumber. Now prices on lumber have fallen apart. So the inflation's popped. The bubble's popped there. The bubble's popping in corn, in soybeans, in gold. What's interesting to note about that is a little bit of it will automatically happen. When gasoline prices, for instance, go higher, you and I drive less. When airline tickets go higher, you and I fly less, and then airline prices come down. When steak prices go higher, we eat chicken. When the kids get tired of chicken, we eat pork. We stay away from the red meat. It's too expensive. <clears throat> Not everyone. And I know I'm, I'm speaking for like families of two, three, four, five, six, seven who don't have as much discretionary money or their discretion has to, to spread over four or five miles. AMD was up huge yesterday. I still like AMD and NVIDIA. And if the market gets ugly, I'm going to like them even more. Real estate reeked yesterday like a dead body, like a dead zombie. Oh, for the record, that uh, Black Summer, I think it's on Netflix. It was a CDC, CBC, Canadian Broadcast Company. 
and man, Canada and Europe, they're able to make television so much better and so much cheaper than the United States because they focus on stories. Just saying. Um, <clears throat> Adobe had really, really solid earnings. I like Adobe. I've never bought Adobe, and it'll never make sense. On my deathbed, I'll probably say Adobe. And my kids will be like, what, you want Adobe roof? You oh, you want an Adobe clay house? What, what is it? What is it, man? But their creative cloud, their document cloud, their experience cloud, it's transforming work. And it still deserves my eyeballs because it's, it's damn innovative stuff. Digital documents, digital creativity, digital customer experiences. I like Adobe enormously. It's on my shopping list. Will I ever buy it? I don't know. I've liked it for 20 years, and I've never bought it. I've always found some reason to buy something else, even though the reasons to buy Adobe were always there. Based on the momentum in our business, Kroger CEO said, CFO, excuse me, never confuse a chief executive officer with a chief financial officer is what my mom always said. Kroger's CFO said, based on the momentum within our business, we're raising our full-year guidance. We now expect our two-year identical sales tracks to be about exactly where we expect them to be. Kroger lost a little bit. Adobe gained a little bit. They both reported numbers yesterday. They both gave outlooks on the future. I know it's not something you want to do, but it's something I have to do. I can't not watch this stuff. So I do appreciate you listening to me. Speaking of which, I put online a 20-minute market update every Tuesday, I believe, uh, with a market strategist where we just basically talk to each other, very much so in podcast style, no commercials. Um, I ask the questions, he gives the answers. I ask the follow-ups, he gives the follow-ups. It's good stuff. All he does for a living is market strategy. All I do for a living is talk market strategy. Um, and do a lot of research. So from election day through Friday of last week, the S&P 500 jumped 26%, marking the best 220-day stretch for stocks after presidential election since World War II. How's that, Mr. Biden? Facebook's going to start taking advertisements for its virtual reality world. Zuckerberg's setting up to become the Windows monopoly of virtual reality operating systems. I got you tempted. Stay with me. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Counting Crows, an American rock band from Berkeley, California. I want to say 1990, 1991. Their story goes that they were a really, really tight band without a lead singer. And that he was, Adam Dirtz, was a lead singer without a tight band. So it's kind of a manufactured band. Within reason, you can run with that. Maybe you don't have to. But they're coming back to Berkeley, California, doing a little bit of a tour this summer. And he has, Adam Dirtz has shaved off his dread look. Dreadlocks. 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 I like dreadlocks, I think, a little bit more. First new music in seven years. Can you imagine being a band that has that one album that is all that in a bucket of chicken? 
August and everything else. And then the whole rest of your career, you're trying to live up to that. Um, kind of an interesting story on the Counting Crows. I, I got to see them right when they were breaking because I was right into the music scene on the East Coast, uh, which the East Coast has a better music scene because you get Boston, you get New York, you get Philadelphia, you get Pittsburgh, you get all these great cities that have great nightlife all within two, three hours of each other by bus trip. Washington, D.C., like it's really quite compact over on the East Coast. So I got to, I heard from some of my friends in the music industry that they were showing at a bar called Hammerjacks in Baltimore. And the, the story has a financial tie to it. I never do a show. I never talk about stuff without financial ties. And I find a girl that wants to go with me. And uh, I'm like, it, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. But we both had class the next morning. And um, long story short, uh, she got mad at me because they didn't go on till like 12. <laughs> she never went out with me again. But I didn't have tickets. So I drove all the way from Washington to Baltimore, 45-minute drive at that time of night. Not bad. It's kind of like San Jose to San Francisco. And uh, I know that in bars, the only money bartenders can make and you know bouncers can make, it's illegal money. So I took $100 and, and asked the bar guy. I said, Kid, uh, not the bar guy, but the security guy. I'm like, um, is there a door I can go in because I don't have tickets? And he said, nope. And I said, is there a door that $100 will open? He goes, yep. And that's how I got in to see one of the better shows of uh, my youth. Anyhow, I'm not telling you buy your way. But as my dad said, if you have money, you really don't have to know for an answer all that often in your life. And I, I think what he was trying to say was not be a jerk. But what he was trying to say was something along the lines of when you're buying things, people should give you good service. I don't think he was trying to say be illegal and bribe people. That wasn't my dad, if you know my dad. But that's out there today. So from Election Day through Friday, the S&P 500 jumped 26%, marking the best 220-day stretch ever for stocks after a presidential election. Does that sound right to you? Does the last 220 days minus this week feel like the best? It's called the Biden boom. Thanks to a recovering economy and massive stimulus from Washington, the Federal Reserve, factors that were underway before Biden took office, a lot of presidents walk into an improving economy. And it looks like Biden's done this, but it wasn't really Biden as much as COVID spending by Congress and Trump trying to get, you know, uh, budgets approved, stimulus approved. And that's, it tells you something. Don't underestimate the power of Congress. Don't underestimate like rock, scissors, paper and, and COVID uh, versus stimulus, stimulus wins. In my opinion. The only administration going back to World War II to come close to Biden's gains was that of JFK, who saw an 18.3% rise in the same time span. The S&P 500 is up 26%. The Biden boom is a recovering economy and massive stimulus. Um, are you thankful for it? Are you bitter about it? Do you think the wealth got wealthier? A little bit of that. There's some of that probably going on, right? Now, let's go back in history and say what happens after such a big move. The last six Six months of the first year of the presidential's term, the last six months of the president's first term, no, no, the last six months of the first year of his first term is characterized by steady gains as well, up another 5.1%. Up 68% of the time when the first six months have been positive, the second six months have been positive 68% of the time. 
Now, the second year of the bull market next year, the calendar year of 2022, um, is supposed to be choppier. It's so weird to say 2022. Like, do you remember back in the 90s, which this segment started in with the Counting Crows? You're like, 2000 seems so far away. And now we're pretty deep in the 20, 2000s, huh? And no one knew what to call the 2000 zeros. Or what were we calling the zeros, the, the aughts? What were we going to call them? History bodes well for stocks right now. This economy recovers and more Americans are vaccinated. The bull market has more room to run and could further add to the value of Americans' 401k plans. That, to me, is the best part of seeing the S&P 500 up 26% year-to-date, is how many Americans have 401ks and 403bs, which I think are the most important vehicles for saving for retirement. I've got uh, my producer is a relative young man, and when he, he came on, I'm like, sign up for the Salem 401k. We work for Salem Communications. And I'm like, sign up for it. He goes, well, I've worked at a couple of radio stations. And there, there's a little bit of hesitancy. I'm like, sign up for it. I'm your big brother here. It's the best way to accumulate wealth, to have one, two, three percent of your paycheck put into the S&P 500. And if you can put 15 percent in 20, 30, 40 years, you're going to be wealthy. Compared to what you are earning versus what you'll have in 20, 30, 40 years, it's It's stunning. Stocks have historically risen 85% of the time on a one-year basis during expansionary periods. The odds are in our favor right now. So as the market dips on higher inflation fears, I'm going to get more excited. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't get excited a year or two years too early. But the way things move now, it feels like it might be a month or two months early. And sometimes it might be a week or two weeks early. If you go back to March 2020, when we were in the the, the the midst of the, the just the horrible bear market, we were getting ravaged. We had a forty percent down down move in a two three weeks time. It was it was wow. And I said something on the air. This is a once in a generation lifetime buying opportunity. Sometimes you get that in a two to four week period. Sometimes it's a two to three year period. I like buying on dips. I like chips with dips. I like stocks with dips. I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. Don't fear the next market drop is what I'm trying to get at. We have an improving economy. Yes, it's going to create some inflation. Yes, that inflation will create a higher interest rates. And yes, the higher interest rates will make picking stocks tougher. But dang it, we have an improving economy. We have worldwide rising vaccination rates, which is, I think, a good thing. Companies that aren't sensitive to economic cycles are showing improvement in their position for stronger performance in the second half of 20, 2016. I'm sorry, 2016. Did I have a stroke? <laughs> what am I trying to say there? So companies that have the ability not to get caught up in inflation, but maybe take advantage of it are technology and healthcare. Technology can take advantage of inflation by telling the guys at Shake Shack, there's an owner at Shake Shack who has 25 employees, and they all went from $12 an hour to $15 an hour to $18 an hour because they need they need to hire people. So we're raising wages. That owner at Shake Shack is going to go to Microsoft. He's going to go to Google. He's going to go everywhere he can to create efficiencies. He's going to figure out, hey, Google, don't you make robots? And you're going to thus will be born a kiosk at Shake Shack. 
if you go into a McDonald's and this all really started happening right during, before the pandemic where we did see more and more kiosks and we did see more and more make your own soda, soda drink over there because that takes away a human being that gets paid 15, 17, $18 an hour. You put in your order as you want it. And you are the one happy at fault. If you say no onions and it comes with onions or they're at fault, but if you say no onions, then you're at fault. So technology and healthcare to the rescue. When there's inflation, technology will help productivity and healthcare will always be there. In a good economy, you break your leg, what do you do? You go to the doctor. In a bad economy, you break your leg, what do you do? You go to the doctor. So, I don't know. It feels like healthcare costs never go down. One of the things I like doing is I like saving one paycheck from every year of my career. And it's just in my paycheck file. And I don't know why I've done it. But it's interesting to look at how much health insurance used to cost 20, 30 years ago out of my paycheck versus how much it does now. It used to be like $15 a month, and now it's $400 a month minimum, $400 a pay period. I'm like, whoa, that's a little different. It used to be $30 a month. Now it's $800 a month. It's like, whoa. Anyway, um, for the record, it's David so I say Jueta because I think the guy on American Idol is a Gueta. And I don't know the difference. I'm not into EDM. I'm not into DJs. It's just something in the music industry that I've always missed. Uh, I've never been to a rave. Isn't that interesting? I don't think I've ever danced on a dance floor after one in the morning. I've never been stoned or high dancing on a dance floor. Might have been drunk, but never stoned or high. Um, too much information, I think. I'm Rob Black. Coming up next hour, I'm going to talk to Wizard of Oz and money and investing. Right now, I want to say go to YouTube, Rob Black Show. That's my channel there. Subscribe to it. Check out my market commentary. I want to build on that. I need your feedback to make everything better.